welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. There are some bombshell revelations coming from Dominion's defamation lawsuit against Fox that won't really surprise you at all. No, it won't. Uh, And Biden is taking it straight to the GOP as we prepare for another fight to save our health care. Then Steve talks to someone who is on a mission to bring back civics education to schools at all levels, the founder and executive director of We Are Voters, Kim Moffitt. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is How We Win. Win. Hey, Jen, nice to have you back. How was your vacay? Hi, it was really excellent. We got to enjoy some of that amazing snow that we've been seeing pile up in the Sierras. It was beautiful. And we got out just in time before all the roads closed. So that's what you want. Lucky. Yeah, I drove in my little electric mini through a hailstorm on the 101 freeway. So that was that was interesting. Yeah, we also in the Bay Area where I am got snow on the hills. It was quite amazing. It's been this mixture of seeing some really beautiful photos. Like we went uh, to an event over the weekend in Silmar, um, which had just the mountains, the hills there were covered in snow. And it felt like you were driving into this mountain town like Big Bear or something. It was so beautiful, but also like a sign of the apocalypse coming. It was just like... Everyone's yeah. been so like kind of gleeful about these photos of snow in places where we're not really supposed to have snow, and it's it's kind of scary too. Yes, absolutely. It's a reminder that we have to keep fighting for more action on climate, and also, you know, sometimes you got to enjoy the apocalypse. Like, what else can you do? You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Well, you did. You you were skiing all over that apocalypse, and <laughs> and now we're back here with some uh, some interesting news this week. Yeah. So today, uh, actually, it came out yesterday. I don't know if everyone saw, but there were some big Fox News bombshells. We've been watching this lawsuit that Dominion, the maker of electronic voting machines, is putting up against the quote-unquote news network, a $1.6 billion lawsuit. Now, I'm in the progressive world, and I used to be part of groups fighting around voting machines, and Dominion was like one of the bad guys. And so it's just quite interesting to me that Dominion is now in this position (laughs) of letting us see behind the curtain of what's really going on in Fox News in a way that we haven't before. So the big thing that happened was that the head of The network, uh, Rupert Murdoch, under oath admitted two things that were really big. One was that he, as chairman, actually provided not only debate strategy, but information about the ads that were being shown on Fox News to the Trump campaign team prior to them being public, which is just just like beyond. And I think this is also incredible confirmed that multiple Fox hosts knowingly endorsed these false narratives about a stolen election. Not that they weren't sure, but that they knew that these were false narratives that they fully endorsed on Fox News. 
That's right. They were even calling for the person that called Arizona uh, for Biden to be fired for making that call. You know, um, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, again, we, we sort of teased it out in our opening. No one is surprised to hear this coming from Fox, but it, it, you should be surprised because they still yeah. do purport to be a news organization, and this is why. Uh, one of the many reasons why the work that we do in the progressive media space is so important because there are literal news organizations like Fox pretending to be uh, reporting facts when they are in fact lying and they know it. Um, And they did it in the most damaging way possible that led to an an all-out assault on our capital and still has, you know, we're, we're on a knife's edge with our democracy as it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's people who have been talking about Fox and, and, of course, there's Newsmax and these other networks um, for a long time. And, uh, you know, Dan Pfeiffer is one who is, has mm-hmm. you know, written some really good books about it. This should not be taken lightly. I think it's easy to take it lightly because uh, for those of us who pay attention even a little bit, we know that, you know, Tucker Carlson uh, shouldn't have a platform. We know that Mm -hmm. Fox is uh, a propaganda peddling machine. But to see it come out in this court case um, is is quite stirring. Yes, I think it has to be a turning point, honestly. We've been in these progressive circles for over a decade, right? And we know that it's always a topic of conversation and sort of a, a given that if you're talking to folks on our side that we complain about Fox News. But this, I think these revelations have to be the start, the starting point of a real change where we, we cannot allow this to stand. We actually need to try to do something about it. Of course, it's very difficult, and it, there's probably no sort of one clean answer. But I do know that folks are going to be pushing around this. And we do have some friends uh, through this group called Call to Activism that put out a lot of different ways for people to take action. And they put out a Lose Fox News campaign. And so we can put the link in, but the, it's it's a petition, which of course, you know, petitions may or may not be <laughs> that useful, but it is something to do. And I think the framing on the petition, I think, is really helpful, which is saying we we should be pushing some of these cable companies who we all give money to every single month, like a lot of money in some cases, to remove Fox News from basic cable because it's not actually news. And so therefore, it, it should not actually be part of a package that we have to pay for. So is, is that going to work? I don't know, but I think it's the right ask. I think it's totally the right ask. And until you actually mobilize consumers, you would be surprised what kind of things you can do. That's right. I mean, you have you have to. I mean, we got uh, AT and T and Directv to drop uh, a Newsmax, I think, or maybe it was uh, maybe it was One America News, the OAN News. I think they, I think that was the one they dropped. But um, you know, uh, obviously, Fa- Fox is a behemoth, yeah. uh, and um, you know, it's a massive network that gets huge ratings, especially for its most hateful shows, and. Um, uh, you know, so like you said, it feels like a petition is not going to do a lot, but we have to make our voices heard on this and we have to get more people to do it and make some noise. Um, and, uh, and I believe we will eventually see change. And then we also have to lift up the, you know, progressive news networks, right? And I, and I mean that 
sincerely, yeah. the the fair and balanced news is um, is tripping all over themselves to try to both sides issues. And um, when there is outright lying going on by the Republican, the GQP, the you know MAGA Republicans, I should say, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and so. The state of it as 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 it is right now, we really need to uplift these progressive news organizations too, who are reporting uh, the the truth as Absolutely. the news is supposed to. That's it's called the news. You expect some truthiness in your news. <laughs> That's you know. Absolutely. Anyway, and, yeah. Uh, and Biden, uh, so in other news, <laughs> in other truthiness, uh, Biden, a.k.a. Dark Brandon, going on the mm. the offense, which is what we love to see from our Democrats, right? We love to see it. Absolutely. Biden was out on the trail today in a swing congressional district in Virginia, one that we had won in 2020, a lost in 2022. And what I loved about this, it, I will see how it plays on the news tonight, but it was definitely on Twitter and on the news today talking about bringing the fight to Republicans and making it about the question, which was the headline, what will they cut? So it's it's so great because this whole fight over the deficit, and as we know, the debt ceiling, is always the Republicans' chance to try to put us on defense. And so I really love how Biden team and the Democrats generally are flipping that script and saying, actually, you're the ones who are trying to cut these things that are wildly popular, so we're going to put the question back to you. We know McCarthy hasn't delivered his budget. He's been very cagey and he continues to be, but we know what they do, right? We already know what their playbook is. So we know their scam. They get in power, they pass a ton of tax giveaways to the rich and big corporations Mm -hmm. like they did with Trump and Bush and all the others. They blow huge holes in the budget. And then when they're not in power, they try to use the deficit and all these fears to force cuts to programs. And then they blame Democrats. They blame <laughs> gay people, immigrants. They blame whoever they can for the whole mess that they have created. So that's their playbook. And that's exactly what they're trying to do now. But what Biden is doing is interrupting that, <laughs> is interrupting that by actually coming out and saying, you know, we know you're going to try to repeal the America, the uh, Affordable Care Act. And we know that large majorities of the public and the voters we need to move in 2024 really like the Affordable Care Act. And so we're going to put that on you. And the the hashtag of don't cut our health care is what has been trending today. And so that's something people can do is, you know, just continue to. Uh, amplify and elevate that messaging to essentially say to Republicans, we know what you're going to do, and we're already going to call you out for it now, not wait for you to do it, or wait for you to try to define us as the ones who are holding up the flow of government when we get to the debt ceiling fight. So really is a preemptive strike on the fight over the debt limit, which is still coming. Yeah, it's so important and meaningful that that Biden is going on the offense here and he's really listening to us. Uh, I mean, I don't mean you and me specifically. Uh, maybe he is. Wow. The royal we. <laughs> if, if you're listening to us, Joe, thank you for taking our messaging advice because we know <laughs> that, uh, you know, we want our Democrats to be on the offense and to not be on their heels and to not be responding all the time and, and to be 
uh, creating that narrative and not mm-hmm. responding to the narrative that's out there. And we've been through this fight before. Uh, we, we saved the ACA when we had way longer odds than we do now. Um, and, uh, and so, mm-hmm. like, uh, this, this is really important to uh, amplify, as you said, the don't cut our health care hashtag to amplify the messaging that Biden's putting out there and get the Republicans on their heels. Um, you know, it, there's this kind of myth uh, that Republicans tell themselves a lot where they say, I'm socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Um, well, a, as um, our Speaker Emeritus would say, a budget is a statement of your values. And you can't be fiscally conservative and socially liberal at the same time if part of your conservative budget outlook is cutting social programs. And that's what um, that's what the Republicans uh, do time and time again, as you just said. So let's keep amplifying this messaging. I love it. I'm here for it. Uh you know, I don't even know what Dark Brandon means, but I, you know, I'm just going to keep calling him that because. Let's go Dark Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the alter ego of President Biden who only lives in the deep, dark halls of Twitter, but it does embody a certain kind of strength, a certain kind of chutzpah, a certain kind of um, playfulness that I think we want to see more out of out of Biden in these coming years. Absolutely. So we've got a lot of of to do items there. Uh, amplified the "Don't Cut Our Healthcare" hashtag, and um, and Jen shared the uh, LoseFoxNews.com uh, site too. We will put that in our show notes as well. And then coming up in our interview, uh, we're going to be talking uh, with Kim Moffitt about her organization, We Are Voters, which is you know really awesome. Uh, organization to push more civics education at all grades and um, and something that people should definitely check out and get involved with too. So we'll put the wearevoters.org link in our show notes as well. Um, do you have a reason for hope this week, Jen? I mean, I always have a reason for hope. I, I guess um, I'll say I, I do feel hopeful about the rain that we're getting. I mean, in California, we just haven't had this kind of rain into February in a really long time. And so it does make me hopeful. I know it's not the end. I know there's still a lot going da- coming down the pike with climate change. But the fact that it looks like we're on the road to not having a horrible drought this year is is quite hopeful for me. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, we have a long way to go with reimagining our water management and and how yeah. we how we deal with it. Um, and uh, and it's that's very complicated and a difficult issue uh, that we must tackle. But like you said, seeing a, a huge snowpack, seeing those reservoirs full, it's um, it's a beautiful, beautiful sight. How about you? My reason for hope is today, as we were recording, is the last day of California's COVID-19 state of emergency. More than three years after our state recorded the nation's first case, it's been more than mm. three years since that first case mm. showed up, and, um, and deeply, sad, sadly, 100,000 lives have been lost since then, too. In California? Correct, in California. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
and that it's been over three years that we've been living through this pandemic. It's um, uh, hard to wrap my head around. And of course, mm-hmm. even though we're lifting the state of emergency, it doesn't mean the virus is gone. In fact, shout out to my sweet 20-year-old daughter who just tested positive and is quarantining right now outside of her college down in Orange County. Um, oh, no. Yeah, she's feeling better. She's doing okay. But, um, yeah. you know, it's it's still very much around. But, um, y- yeah. you know, you think back to those early days and before we had any kind of uh, treatment, before we had certainly any vaccines, and uh, yeah. and now it's... We're sort of living with this new normal, and and uh, it just gives me hope that that we are moving on. I've I've certainly been excited to be back out and doing events, especially as a candidate, being able to actually meet people in person and stuff. It's been great. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a new reality, a very different reality than the one that we faced when that state of emergency was first declared. And uh, I think the political environment also made a difference. You know, when you had people in charge during this crisis when it first broke out who were denying the science, were, were talking about not masking. I mean, to think that that was even what we had to go through, not only dealing with the crisis itself, but then the denial of the crisis by the people in charge. So it is a relief that we've had good leadership from the administration, all the agencies. We've had good leadership over the last two years. And so all of that work is what led us to this moment where it's not over, but we we can see a light at the end of the tunnel of how we live with this longer term, which is not something we did have at that time where it yeah. was very scary. Yeah. Yep. Obviously grateful to live in a state with a uh, governor like Gavin Newsom who took science mm-hmm. seriously and took, you know, yeah. uh, you know, took really tough stances that were very unpopular, like you said, and politically and led to his, you know, rec- like there wouldn't have been a recall effort without without those measures. Um, but yes. um, but here we are. So that gives me hope. That's great. OK, well, I'm excited for you to hear this interview with uh, my new friend, Kim Moffat, who is such an inspiring woman. And by the way, in the first day of Women's History Month, uh, <laughs> I'm so blessed to be around inspiring women like yourself and Kim. Mm-hmm. So um, without any further ado, let's get to our interview with Kim. Kim Moffat is the host of multiple podcasts, including the news show, Here's What's Happening, the political show, My America, and let's just say non-political shows, Dawson's Darlings, For Love of Show, and Kim Knows Nothing, which seems silly because clearly Kim knows a lot. She's also, very importantly, the founder and executive director of We Are Voters. Kim, thank you so much for jumping in with me, admittedly, on very short notice. Thank, thanks for having me. I always like when the intro includes the Dawson Starlings podcast because it's so uh, non-political and very silly. <laughs> it's a uh, Dawson's Creek uh, like rewatch show, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the quarantine came for all of us in different ways. <laughs> and, and that is that is what I did. Yeah. Well, that sounds compelling. Um, you've worked on a very diverse set of projects, so I'm really curious to know a little bit about your background and how you got started in this work. 
Yeah. Um, I am, I've lived in LA for 10 years. Um, I was working as a PA on a show. We were on hiatus and uh, happened to be just kind of looking on Twitter as, uh, as we do and saw that there was this woman in Texas. This is 2013. There's this woman in Texas and she has just started filibustering a bill that would protect abortion rights in Texas. And uh, I was like, this is really interesting. I started watching and it was Wendy Davis. And I watched her mm. almost the entire filibuster on YouTube. <laughs> and and remember, like, nobody's really covering it. And I'm watching this and totally drawn in by this woman standing up for, you know, Texas women, but really all, all women uh, in the country and was so blown away by her tenacity that I wanted to go to Texas. I knew she was going to run for governor. Everyone was kind of talking about it the next day. And eventually she did announce. And I, I thought, I'm going to go to Texas. I think I'm going to spend the summer out there and follow her campaign and just be of service however I can. And then that kind of snowballed into uh, doing a whole documentary about her campaign, about the 2014 election, and then kind of pulling it back and looking at 2016. So doing a ton of like interviews and just filming this documentary and getting an education in voter rights, um, timeline of the VRA, all of that, which mm -hmm. I didn't know that much about when I started. I just was really invested in this woman and what she had done. And it kind of snowballed into everything else for me. And through this time, through this documentary, I just became enamored <laughs> by this question of not just why aren't people voting, but more, more so like, what can we do mm. to make voting better, to make the information more accessible, to make it just feel like it's less of an obstacle. And so after the documentary was finished, actually, while I was filming the documentary, I went back to school, got my master's in political science and mm. the same month almost that we, I finished the documentary, I signed the 501c3 paperwork for this organization. For We Are Voters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, used to be known as we're the people. So people might know it as as either or. But yeah, we are going by we are voters now. Okay. So had you done uh, any political work prior to being inspired by Wendy Davis uh, on YouTube? Or I guess it wasn't I mean, YouTube. I, it was probably where, where did you where did you see that? Maybe it was YouTube. I watched it on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like 10 hours. I mean, the whole thing was 13, but 10 hours of me just sitting there watching this woman. I, you know, I had volunteered for Obama's campaign and mm. I grew up in a very political house. We talked politics all the time. Um, I have family members that are in politics. Where so, was that? Where'd you grow up? Down in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, politics was always something that we were very comfortable talking about in my family and very invested in. But um, I definitely didn't imagine myself ever starting this organization, being so into it like I am now. Um, I, I kind of I was a regular voter, but that was it until this, you know, one thing changed everything for me. So what are the so let's talk about we are voters. Um, what's the foundational goal of the organization? You you mentioned why you started it up, but you know what what do you uh, hope to achieve? We are education based. Uh, you know, there's not a one size fits all reason that somebody doesn't go out there and vote. I know that it would be easier if it, that was the case, but it's not. There's a lot of reasons that people don't vote. I think that part of it is that we just don't have a great civics education in this country. Um, practically non-existent, <laughs> like not even great, but it doesn't really exist. 
Yeah, I mean, you you technically have to have a class called civics in high school, but and then that's it, though. There's no you don't have to teach anything. And what we're seeing in a lot of these states is that you have to not teach things. Uh, you know, they're they're taking as they're banning books and banning what they're saying is CRT, which is not right. I and mean, they've really just owned this term that doesn't exist for high school and junior high and elementary schools, but suddenly now uh, they think it does. Uh, as these things are going away, civics education dwindles. And I think that it makes people wonder if their vote is really all that important. And so we are basing a lot of it on education, uh, building out a very ambitious K through 12 program, uh, starting with seniors and then building our program out backwards mm. so that even kindergartners and it's non-political or it's non-partisan at all. There's no here's what this party does and here's why we think you should vote for this party. It's just even for kindergartners, getting them to know words like vote and what that means is important so that by the time they are, you know, juniors and seniors in high school, depending on where they live, they're 16, 17, 18, once they can start voting in even a mayoral election, they understand how important their voice is. And and that's going to change them in a million different ways. You know, you, you know how it is once you've figured out how important your voice is and the power that it has, there's like nothing that can stop you. So we are looking at that. And then also understanding that, you know, having a civics education is a privilege. And it's not like if you weren't paying attention when you were 17 and 18 and didn't learn the basics of civics, then you should never have access to this information. We want to make sure that this information is accessible to everybody beyond the classroom, whether they just it they just never had the opportunity to have the classes. They weren't really paying attention because you're 17 and 18 and why on earth is this the most important thing? You're falling in love and you're thinking about college. You're thinking about next steps. You're not going to remember what the three branches of the government are at that time <laughs> in your life. So you want to make this information accessible to everybody and not have it be a barrier. It's not embarrassing that you don't know this stuff. That's, right. that's fine. We'll get we'll get the information to you now. And, you know, there's no such thing as a non-voter, just someone that hasn't voted yet. And it's not embarrassing that you haven't done it if you're ready now. Yeah, I love I love switching the framing of, of low propensity voters to high potential voters. You know, uh, that's yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, uh, civics started getting stripped away from our classrooms in the seventies, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, you, you say that it's not partisan, and you're right. I know that what you're proposing is not partisan, but in a way, it is partisan because there is a uh, a campaign by Republicans to keep people uninformed about their government and the power that they hold and their agency. And and we're seeing it in really terrifying ways, especially in Florida right now. Um, the, the recent uh, education mandates that DeSantis put out is draconian and terrifying and um, goes, goes beyond uh, what, what is hateful and horrible enough with his uh, assault on any kind of studies of African-American studies or anything like that. But it's, um, it's just – it's by design to keep people from being informed so that they can stay under control so that they're more pliable and, uh, and easily manipulated when it comes to fear and blame and everything that the top does to keep people at the bottom blaming other people and, uh, and not looking while they're stealing money from their pockets. My diatribe. 
<laughs> I a, mean, I, I'm not interrupting you. So. <laughs> there's, a, there's a question in here somewhere, I'm sure. But um, I guess like uh, I've met you through our mutual friend, Brian Tyler Cohen, uh, and you were reaching out uh, because I'm running for assembly and you were looking for some partners to do this work um, and, to, and to help implement these programs. So, you know, Let's have that conversation. Tell me, you know, what you're looking for, and maybe there's people, listeners, and stuff. Like, how can they help implement these programs or advocate for these programs in their own communities? Well, you, I mean, that's exactly what we're looking for: is a community builders. Uh, we are looking for people that are excited to be talking about civics in their community, that understand how important all of this is. And we want to work with them to start putting these programs into classrooms in their communities. We want to help people become community leaders. If somebody's listening right now and feeling like, this seems like a really good idea, there's probably somebody that's better suited to do it than I am, but I like this idea. That's not true. I, if, if you like this, you are the one that is best suited for it. And, you know, we, we can't what we're seeing right now happen in Florida, all across the country, all throughout our democracy, is that we cannot wait until we feel like somebody else is better suited for it. We have to just dive in. I mean, look at what you, you're diving into this. You know, you, you we have to. Uh, it, it requires us to be a part of it all. So we're, uh, you know, I'm looking for people that are excited about the idea of building a program in their community, and let's work on that together. And uh, so they can connect with you via your website on wearevoters.org. Absolutely. Or they can email me, Kim at wearevoters.org. I'm around. Very easy <laughs> to uh, to reach out to me. Don't, I want to hear from people. Don't give out your phone number on the podcast. Don't do that. <laughs> 555. <laughs> Feel go. free to call. 1212. Or wait, 8675309, right? That's the number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me just ask you one more question. Uh well, I'll, I'll frame it this way because you talked about um, how important it is to get people involved and students involved in civics and building that foundation. Um, what has been giving me an endless amount of hope is this last election, the amount of Gen Z voters who showed up, registered, and and voted and volunteered and, and you know helped us turn the tide over the midterms, you know, literally push back on that red wave. Um, I know as an organizer – if somebody doesn't vote the first opportunity they have to do that, it's incredibly hard to get them engaged until they're 30. So there's yeah. this lost decade that is so difficult. And and to your point and to your great work, one of the fundamental reasons for that is because of the lack of civics in that foundation that we give them. But if they do vote the first opportunity they have, they're voters for life. They, they vote in every election. It becomes part of their identity and who they are. So, so seeing the Gen Z voters really show up in the last election, that gave me a lot of hope. My question to you is what's giving you hope right now? Every single person that is voting for the very first time is giving me hope. Because like you said, you know, if you it's hard if you don't get them when they have their first election available, you're not going to get them for at most 12 years, right? So it's really hard to capture that. Anybody though that is willing to try something new for the first time, like voting, is exciting. Watching these people no matter like what age they are understand how important their voice is and and 
being brave enough to use it and use it um, respectfully. We're seeing a lot of people that um, have surely found their voice mm. and uh, are using it. Uh, it's not respectful. <laughs> it's it's dangerous. Yeah. But instead of you know allowing us what is a very loud but luckily small group of people dictate the way that we are going to run in this country you have a lot of people pushing back and saying actually that's that's not what we're looking for here that's not the way that a healthy democracy runs and so instead of allowing you to to set the agenda for our future i'm going to go out there and perhaps for the first time ever cast my ballot and continue to to understand how important that is so not just voting once but seeing oh there's a runoff here here you know in la we had a runoff in november a lot of people showed up to vote again even though they perhaps felt like well i voted the first time and so what's the point what is the right. point of all of this continuing to show up that's amazing and i hope that people that are doing that understand that they have taken a huge step, a huge step. People uh, get mad about the 2020 election because how on earth did 81 million people, because 81 million people stood up and said that I want to have a decision in my own future. Mm -hmm. And we're brave enough to go vote in the middle of a pandemic, right. brave enough to go vote for what they wanted. And, and that's incredibly inspiring. Hear, hear. Well, Kim, thanks again for jumping in. Uh, your website is wearevoters.org. So I encourage everyone to check that out and uh, see if you can get involved in your own community. It's so foundational, especially when education is so under attack right now. Um, you know, we need to push back. And um, so I'm very glad to be connected to you. Also, um, check out her uh, Dawson's Creek podcast so dawson sorry mm -hmm. what's it called <laughs> dawson's darlings <laughs> dawson's darlings and for love of show and kim knows nothing and she's got a, a, a bunch of really great podcasts so um check them all out spend an afternoon binging kim just let, hear this voice for the whole day spend a whole day with this voice <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm in all right thank awesome. you kim thank you Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at Jen Ancona. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. We can't stop, we won't stop, and there's always work to do, so we'll be back with some more next Wednesday.